The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The Satipatthana Sutta has a, a structure to it. It starts kind of with an overview, a definition, and I talked a little bit about some of that definition last week, talking about the four foundations of mindfulness and how we observe. We observe the body as a body, feelings as feelings, mind states as mind states, dhammas as dhammas or experience as experience. It elaborates a little more on that, which I didn't go into last week, but I had talked about several weeks earlier, so I didn't bring it in so much last week. It has a phrase, one abides observing the body as a body, ardent, mindful, fully aware, setting aside desire and discontent for the world. Well, that's how we observe what and how we observe. And then the rest of the sutta is essentially an elaboration on that phrase. It goes through each of the four foundations, each of these four areas, elaborates more on what does it mean to observe the body as a body? How can we do that? What are tools for observing the body as a body? Observing feelings as feelings. How do we do that? mind states as mind states and experience as experience and particular experience as experience through the perspective of the Dharma teachings. Between each of these exercises, we could call each of these, um, we could call each of these uh, descriptions of how we can observe, for instance, the body in the, in the teaching on the mindfulness of the body, there's, several, I think there's nine exercises of how to observe the body. It talks about observing the breath. It talks about observing um, um, the, the physical postures. It talks about observing all of our activities, uh, walking, standing, speaking, being silent. It talks about that. Then it talks about observing um, the elemental nature of our experience, the vibratory, heat, cool, um, hard, soft, all of that kind of um, elements, the elemental nature of our experience. And then it talks about observing uh, or contemplating, reflecting on more the, the parts of the body. And it encourages us to reflect on um, that we are uh, going to die, you know, reflecting on corpse contemplation. Maybe that's six. I think it's six, six exercises in that, um, in that first foundation of mindfulness. Between each of these and throughout the Satipatthana Sutta, um, you know, there's exercises in each of the four foundation. Between each of the exercises, there is what uh, Bhikkhu Analyo has called the refrain, which is kind of a repeated statement. It's like the chorus of a song. It's repeated many times in, this, in, the, in the Satipatthana Sutta. And essentially what it's doing is it's encouraging, again, a particular perspective 
how to how to pay attention what's important to pay attention to and i'll read that to you um, i'm not going to try to talk about the whole of this uh refrain today but one piece of it i do want to do want to talk about so i'll read you the refrain um, and it's um, it's changed depending on whether it's pointing to the body your feelings or mind state so i'll just read it re related to the body one observes, one abides observing the body as a body internally, or one abides observing the body as a body externally, or one abides observing the body as a body both internally and externally, or else one abides contemplating the body in its arising factors, or one abides contemplating the body in its vanishing factors, or one abides contemplating the body in both its arising and vanishing factors. Or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in this world. The, um, there's, a, there's a little like... Um, section marker before this section that kind of highlights it as as the refrain and that section marker these the section markers in the various suttas uh, were added several hundred years after the the time of the buddha so the buddha didn't say these things but uh, it kind of indicates to us what some of his followers over the course of the years of practicing in his teachings thought that there was a kind of a, a kind of this is like the headline or the title of the section and the title of the section doesn't say refrain it says insight so this section of the sutta emphasized each with each exercise is pointing perhaps to those aspects of attending to our experience that particularly are conducive to understanding. Contemplating internally and externally. Contemplating the impermanent nature of experience. Establishing mindfulness. Having that continuity of mindfulness. Establishing mindfulness. The mindfulness there is a body is established to the extent necessary for knowledge and mindfulness, for understanding to arise. And then the, the aspect of uh, abiding independent and not clinging. That's, that's kind of the result or that's, the, that's what the outcome, perhaps we could say, of this practice is, this abiding independent without clinging. So there's a lot in this refrain, and I did kind of point to a little bit in the guided meditation, that last line or the second to last line, mindfulness, there is a body, is simply established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. But what I'd really like to explore today more <clears throat> is from the beginning of this section, um, one abides observing the body internally, externally, or both internally and externally. 
It doesn't really say anywhere, particularly what internal and external are in the suttas themselves. There's various ways internal and external are used. Um, I, get, I got my um, understanding of this um, and the various nuances of ways it can be understood through exploring um, Bhikkhunalio's book, Satipatthana, The Direct Path of Realization. So some of what I'm going to say is, is coming from that. Um, the, the commentaries do point to internal uh, exploration being mostly what we teach, what we explore with mindfulness, what, what our, um, our kind of um, usual instructions are, observing our experience. And that seems to be a lot of what the, the teachings encourage in the Satipatthana Sutta. And yet he throws in this external piece too. And it's not really just thrown in, it's repeated many, many times. So um, the commentaries say that externally means observing others, other human beings. I think it also can include other beings in general, um, uh, potentially also observing the world. But the commentaries particularly point to observing other human beings, other other, other human beings particularly, I think. So this brings into our Satipatthana practice a whole new area or a whole terrain of practice that we don't talk much about, actually, this area of observing others. Another place in... Um, um, in the suttas, the Buddha talks about, to his son, he gives the instruction that before we act, we should reflect, think about how is our action going to affect ourselves or others? Is it going to create suffering for ourselves or others or both? Encouraging us in, this, in a kind of an iterative way, first reflecting before we act, while we're acting, after we act, and encouraging us to, uh, to be aware of how our actions are affecting ourselves and others. And so this may be a piece of, of this external ex, uh, exploration, is looking at how there's an interrelationship between us. That we're not independent in the, in that we affect each other. That the conditions that arise here, the choices that I make, the, the uh, actions that I choose to do, the things that I choose to say have an effect on others. And so there's that possibility uh, as a part of observing externally that, that that would come into that practice that he offered to his son. And that in order to see whether our actions affect somebody else, we have to be aware externally, we have to be aware of how they're responding what they say in response to what we say, what the expression on their face is. We have to be aware of their body, of their words, of their expressions, their moods. So while this internal external isn't completely clear what it actually means, the commentaries come down on this side of um, uh, observing self, observing our own personal experience and observing the experience of others. 
we've got a, quite a bit of experience. I think that a lot of the teachings that we do in the West, particularly, I think that we that we have emphasized, have explored this internal uh, aspect of knowing what's happening. We get to know our physical body. We get to know how our um, our emotions and our um, uh, responses arise in the mind as a result of our conditioning. We see that the conditioned nature of our responses doesn't mean that, that we have to follow those responses. And so we learn something about ourselves and this leads to insight. This kind of internal observation leads to, to understanding and, um, you know, in, in, in especially, uh, I talked about last week, the kinds of insights and understanding that can arise as we explore or are mindful of experience in this way described the body as a body, feelings as feelings, the body as a body, not my body, but a body, feelings as feelings. The, this, this kind of exploration helps us to kind of take a step back and see that this body is a process unfolding. It's a set of causes and conditions, you know, that have come from the beginning of time, essentially, into this moment. And here is me, you know, Gil, Gil sometimes says he, he has reflected that this thought that's arising right now, this thought in this being, it took the entirety of the evolution of the universe for that thought to arise in this moment. It's that conditioned, you know, it is, it is dependent on all of the various conditions that have come to be. And so we start to see that the conditions are unfolding and that in this very moment, in this very small window of, of the present moment, which actually begins to feel pretty vast once we enter into that understanding of this is where, where things are happening. <laughs> this is the only place things are happening. That as we uh, open to that, um, we see that a choice that's made now, that the seeing of that conditioning and seeing perhaps the direction it's leading, if we're seeing uh, um, aversion arising in the present moment, for instance, the conditioned nature of aversion is to have us want to get rid of something, to push something away, to want us to separate from something. But if we see aversion arising in the moment, in that moment, then there's an understanding that we may uh, have that having seen that happen many times in our past and having experienced, at least sometimes perhaps, the suffering of that aversion, then the experience arising of aversion in the present moment with mindfulness allows the system to choose something different, allows us to go in another direction. So that's how the establishment of mindfulness helps to lead, it helps to lead towards insight and understanding and freedom from that, uh, that uh, clinging towards this aversion, this acting on this aversion is the way I'm going to be happy. And so we see all of that internally. You know, that's a lot of what we have explored in, in, uh, in our mindfulness practice. And it seems pretty clear how supportive it is for insight and understanding.
What about observing externally, observing others? How can this lead to insight and understanding? First of all, what does it mean to observe others? Again, we're, we're asked to observe the body as the body externally, feelings as feelings externally, mind states as mind states externally. I'm not sure yet about the fourth foundation, how, oh, I guess in some ways we could say, because that, that takes some specific lenses on experience. So for instance, it, it asks us to observe experience through the framework of the hindrances or the seven factors of awakening. And so we might um, observe, for instance, a hindrance arising in someone else, or we might observe love or compassion arising in someone else. That would be within the fourth foundation of mindfulness. So the, um, what does it mean to observe others? The body is pretty, pretty straightforward, but even just observing the bodies of others from this perspective of a body as a body, that begins to help our minds um, especially if we have done some of our own work of what it means to observe a body as a body internally and what, how the unfolding of that understanding leads to um, um, a release from some clinging and how not seeing the body as a body kind of can get us tied up into knots, taking it as my body. And as we kind of understand the ways in which our minds and bodies interact and the conditioned nature of minds and bodies interacting, our own mind and body interacting, as something that we don't necessarily um, you know, that we think, we think we should have more control over our conditioning unfolding. And then as we start to observe what's happening, we see there's this, this moment in the present moment where we can affect how conditions unfold. But a lot of the time, we're simply kind of seeing things play out. And even if we can be aware of it in the moment, sometimes what we get to do is see it play out. And so we see that that the, the conditioned nature of our experience, that um, we don't perhaps have, a, we feel like we, we should have more capacity to control how our conditions unfold than we do. And we attribute that to others too. We think other people should have more capacity to be able to prevent themselves from saying mean things. We think other people, that, that, that we, so we attribute more capacity to them. But as we've seen our own, our own challenge with this, then as we observe others, we can begin to understand, yes, they too are living their conditioning unfolding. And it's hard. We know how hard it is to be aware and present. I mean, even sometimes when we are mindful, things come out of our mouths that we don't want them to. And so in observing others, having had the foundation of seeing how our own system works and how hard it is 
to navigate our own conditioning, then observing others, we begin to have that same understanding. Oh yeah, they are, they are living their conditioning as well. And so it can um, allow there to be some compassion for how others are responding. It can also be inspiring, I find, in, in um, observing externally. I found on, on many retreats that inspiration, observing, observing someone externally. One point I was getting up in the meditation hall. It was on a, a, a month-long retreat, I think. I stood up in the meditation hall and I turned around with my eyes open and I, I was just turning and I saw somebody um, in their sitting posture, sitting very uh, dignified and very slowly moving their hands to change their posture. In that moment, that all I could see really was the, the, the physical body, but there was a way in which that action, the way the person was moving, created in my mind a mind state of very simple and clear awareness. It was as if I was, I was kind of getting a hit of what their mind, how they were in, in their mind. And this is perhaps a way that we can... Um, perhaps a way that we can start to observe feelings and mind states through um, when we're really present and watching somebody else do what they're doing, there's almost a way that we can feel, or there's, it's, it's an interpretation. It's clearly an interpretation, but there's a way in which, you know, we can um, impute or infer their feelings and their mind states. And so the, the observing of others can be both, um, you know, supportive to helping us kind of begin to uh, break through our, our sense of um, others as self. A few weeks ago, I talked about selfing and othering and how the othering, the quality of othering, you know, we... Um, we self, we, we take ourselves to be who, who we are. You know, we have ideas about ourselves and we attribute a lot to ourselves because of that view of ourselves. And we do the same to others. And, and, and some, so sometimes we can see the mind um, attributing, you know, they, them, they do this. That's what this person always does. And so our minds kind of attribute a, a self to other, much as we attribute a self to self. And so this, um, this external contemplation through this perspective of body as a body, feelings as feelings, helps us to see the conditioned nature, helps us understand that others have this same conditioned nature that we do and helps us to um, possibly uh, be either inspired, you know, to be inspired by someone else uh, engaging in the world in a wholesome way, or to have some compassion when somebody is engaging in the world in an unwholesome way, to understand this is conditioning playing out. 
And so this is one way that this can lead to understanding or insight is the, the kind of the seeing, kind of breaking down the, the sense of self, not only internally, but externally. And as we start, these two play with each other internally and externally, because as we see internally, the conditioning unfolding, we can at times deeply understand that it is just conditioning unfolding and that there's not an I or a me here doing that. It's more, of, it can, it's, it's kind of like an after the fact attribution in a way sometimes. Oh, that's what happened. I did that. There's more to say about, about self. I won't, there's always more to say about self, but I'm going to come back to external right now. Um, another way or ex- exploration that around the external that can help us come to understanding about ourselves, about our own delusions, is that, um, you know, we are acting out of our own delusions, our own views, our ideas, our beliefs. And as the, you know, I I talked earlier about the the sutta uh, that he gave to his son, the Ruhula Sutta, where he talked about... um, Observing, you know, reflect before you act, is this going to cause harm? Reflect while you're acting, is this causing harm? Reflect after you've acted, did this cause harm to self or others or both? And so sometimes our, you know, our actions come out of our conditioning, often out of very deep old conditioning that is not seen, that's hard, very deep, sometimes so deep that we're not even aware it's conditioning. We just take it to be, well, this is what's true. This is how things are. And so sometimes our our actions come out of these places where we're often not so aware of those views or those delusions, those beliefs. And so, you know, in using this exploration of observing how others respond to our actions. So this is, this is where maybe internal and external begin to interweave. We observe, we look internally, is this going to cause harm? Well, I don't see any harm that's going to come from this. Okay, the Buddha says, if you don't see that harm is going to come, then do it. You're welcome to do it. But watch while you're doing it. Is it causing harm? And so, you know, that's where we, we observe. How do our actions affect others? And I think what this does, and then also after the fact, because it may be that the consequences of something that we do or say doesn't arise until much later. You know, we don't see the effect until much later. And so the Buddha encourages us also to reflect after the fact. Did it cause harm? So the, um, this exploration is encouraging us to look at our actions and how they affect ourselves and others. So witnessing, watching while we're acting, how is it, how is it landing? How are other people, what's the body language as people are in our environment and witnessing us do these things? 
What's the expression on their face? What do they say? Sometimes it's really clear. Sometimes it's not at all subtle, but they don't like what we've done. And there's something that, they've, that we've done to hurt them. So the, the Buddha, I mean, so, sometimes if we think, um, you know, just internally, we might think, well, you know, sometimes there's this, this sense of, well, if they're getting angry at something I did, that's on them. You know, that's, that's, that's sometimes the way our minds work, especially using some of this internal, if we focus just on the internal, we see, yeah, when I get angry, there's something inside that I need to look at. But the, um, the, the Buddha encouraged us to uh, undertake restraint if what we do creates harm. And I think also, it's not explicit in the, in the Rahula Sutta, but also to reflect back on what was going on. So, you know, there is, there is often a piece of somebody reacting, perhaps, to something that, uh, that we said or did, and there is some piece of that that is their own to look at. But there's also... What I think this is pointing to, or there's a real big capacity for learning here, that if somebody is reacting in a way that we did not anticipate, you know, so if we do this in this iterative way that the Buddha describes, we didn't think it was going to create harm going into it. We We didn't think that was going to happen. And here we are in the middle of acting, and we are surprised by that. What did we not know? What were we unaware of? And so this is, this is, I think, encouraging us to begin to look at where are our hidden conditions, where are our hidden assumptions, our hidden beliefs and views that didn't let me see this was going to cause harm. This isn't, this isn't a judgment. It's not to say I should have known it in advance. The Buddha encourages us to do this iterative process to learn. This is a way we can learn. We can learn about others, and we can learn about ourselves. Hidden biases, unconscious biases, such as racial biases, can have this this effect, you know, that that we might do or say something um, that because it's coming out of unawareness. Do or say something that creates harm or, or pain for another person. And if we um, simply take it as, well, it's their problem, you know, they, they need to look at their reactivity, we miss the opportunity to uncover our own delusion. So this is, a, this is a, a way in which the internal and external together can help us to uncover hidden, uh, hidden views, hidden conceit, hidden um, beliefs, by seeing how do people respond. So these are most of the reflections I wanted to offer. So based on um, uh, that, that comment or question, it made me reflect on how this practice of um, um, looking externally is ideally suited for daily life practice. 
you know, much of what we do in daily life practices, but again, we orient internally, you know, it's like the whole, the whole retreat model of lifting, moving, placing, you know, we're, we're looking internally at our body sensations and our feelings and our emotions. But in the, in daily life, we also have this whole realm of external practice, seeing how other people are. You know, I, 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 I came to this, I, I only go to the grocery store once a week right now. Um, that's up from once every two weeks. So I'm getting more opportunities to actually be in physical presence with people. Um, and I, I reflected on this topic after I went to the grocery store and I had not remembered to do this kind of external contemplation at the grocery store, but I'm hoping to remember the next time, you know, I want to put like a sign on my door because it seemed really exciting to me. I reflected back and remembered the cashier and some of his expressions and, and thought there was something, you know, something there that would have been beautiful to, to explore. So, you know, this is a whole realm of practice this external exploration. And then again, as, as I pointed out, the way in which it can not only help us see like that other beings are conditioned, that, that you know, the, the, it, how we impute self to others is just a view, is just an idea, but also how we, how we can um, you know, uncover our own you know, hidden beliefs through seeing how people respond to, to what we say or do. And this relates to the question on overthinking and um, in some ways to um, um, that, that, you know, the question of, you know, what is harm is a kind of an overthinking in a way. Um, I think at the basic level, it's um, unethical you know, it's uneth- it, it, it starts with unethical conduct, create, you know, physical harm, taking some, something from someone, um, sexual uh, um, misconduct or, you know, creating harm through sexuality. Uh, so that would be the first level kind of to look at. Is this um, a violation of the precepts? Um, false speech, you know, that, that, and, and the encouragement there too in the, in the precepts is that it, you know, if you engage in those kinds of actions, killing a living being, um, taking what's not offered, um, creating harm through sexuality or um, false speech, that those things will harm ourselves and others. So that, that, that it, it's, it's a benefit to ourselves also not to engage with those things. So that would be the first kind of layer. Um, and then I think, um, you know, that, that it is, there is a kind of um, um, you know, it, creating harm, uh, you know, for instance, might be saying something. And again, I think it does come back to some of, of why speech, wise action, wise livelihood, especially why speech, because uh, so much harm is created through speech. And the, um, you know, so the, the precepts talk just about false speech, but the Eightfold Path talks about not um, engaging in divisive speech or um, harsh speech or idle chatter. The idle chatter um, 
let's leave that one to the side for now. Um, it's more harmful in the sense that it tends to create a, a mind that's not settled. Um, but the the divisive speech and the and the harsh speech, you know. So or and it could be action too. I mean, it could be harsh action or divisive action done through physical in physical ways. You know, the, the Buddha encouraged us to to look at that too. Are we doing something to divide these people here from those people there? Are we speaking harshly? Are we um, um, speaking in a way that is intended to hurt someone? So a lot of it comes back to intention. And yet, so, so, and that's where we, we, we look at, we, we can look at it, you know, it's like, is this action that I'm doing, is it intended to make somebody feel bad? Is it intended to divide? Um, and, you know, sometimes we are, we're kind of acting out of our conditioning. And yes, we are saying something that's nasty or, or, you know, cruel. And, and we know that it, you know, kind of some part of us knows that, but then it like, it comes out anyway. That's, that's the kind that the, the, you know, the Buddha would encourage his son to say, you know, think before you act and maybe try to not do that. But if you do, do do it, then stop or, you know, make, make, make amends, <laughs> et cetera. But what, what I'm pointing to, what I'm pointing to is that the kinds of things, or at least in the, the seeing of the delusion is that you may not see that something is coming out of a belief or a view it's it's so embedded it's so diluted that we wouldn't see it it's not it's not coming from an intentional place of causing division or um or to hurt somebody we're not doing that intentionally but sometimes our actions are motivated by very old delusive patterns that create division or create harm. And so that's where, you know, we don't, we don't know in advance. But if we see that it has created division or created um, a reaction, then what I'm saying is that that is something that we can look at. Was there something I didn't understand? Is there something I didn't know? And that, that might be something about the other person's history or background or something about my own conditioning. It could be many things. And so it's an opportunity to learn them. Now, it may be that, that it could be on one side or the other that more of the, um, um, the pattern was, or more of the kind of the, the unawareness was on my own side and that I didn't, I didn't know or see the deep underlying hidden biases or um, uh, in my own mind. And that's where this action came from. And so like, wow, I didn't intend for it to cause hurt, but it did cause hurt. And it was because of something that I hadn't seen in my own conditioning, that that action happened. And at other times it may be, you know, it may be that the other person, uh, their response is, um, you know, so, you know, I had this with a partner at one point, I said something and it was so clear that the person's response was coming from their own conditioning. It's like, I, I, I knew that my, my own um, motivation and my own, 
you know, my own sense of what I was saying, that he was responding out of his own conditioning. And like, I can't, I can't fix that part. But in this process of internal and external, we can look, if we see something unexpected, we, it's, it's important for us to look, is this something that has uh, been hidden from me? Mm 